Welcome to TCN Talks. I'm your host, Chris Como, and the goal of these podcasts are 15 to 20 minutes of relevant need to know to help you in your role as a hospice, palliative care, or serious illness leader and team member at all levels of the organization. So our goal is concise and relevant need to know for you in your role. And always the book end of our podcast is something to make you think deeper and think deeper related to the topic of our podcast today. So I'm so excited. Our host today is Dr. Rohini Kanagante. Welcome, Dr. Kanagante. Hi there. Thank you so much. I would love for you to just tell our listeners, what do they need to know about you? What would be important for them to know? Um, that I'm here to share and offer compassion as the primary protein source for resiliency. <laughs> I love that. That is, that is a great line. <laughs> Anything else you think that would be important for them to know? Um, well, that, that, re, that resiliency is a relational process and that I have dedicated so much of my life to learning the relational process. And that is so primary in who I am as a physician and a teacher of well-being. Well, that makes you, uh, hopefully you'll take this as a compliment, a bit of a unicorn as I've gotten to know you. You have such a unique confluence of so many different interests, skill sets, and research. So um, that's kind of become one of our TCN funnies is that person's a unicorn, and we mean that as one of the highest levels of compliments. Well, let me set the table because I think you gave a really good appetizer. And so, in fact, one of the reasons why we started TCN Talks podcast is just literally out of concern by what we are seeing happening to incredible people, um, hospice, powder care, serious illness professionals, some people walking away from the profession and many years of study and dedication and just saying, I'm done and going, wait a minute, something's not right about that. In fact, I think you even listened, uh, Rohini, to our first podcast, which was called From Burnout to Breakthrough um, with a good friend, John Locke, and he brought some great tools and tactics in terms of kind of our, how do we take better care of ourselves? Um, but then next, Dr. Burpee, Elizabeth Burpee, our title of that one was Resiliency, Hope, and Gratitude. And so I'm super excited about today because I just know you're going to take us deeper into some of the concepts about um, what do we do about these amazing people that are by the bedside and they're really struggling right now. And so I think that's probably a perfect way for you to just take it from there and we'll, we'll make it conversational. Absolutely. I really look forward to our conversation. So first I wanna thank all of um, TCN, Mountain Valley, a fantastic hospice for me to work for, all of my teachers and mentors. And I wanna thank um, the previous speakers. Um, and uh, Elizabeth, I completely agree with you that hospice is a fantastic model for the rest of healthcare. And, um, and more about that. Um, we really think two of the best things that our country has done are the national parks, and you're about to go to Yellowstone, and hospice. I mean, this is just blows everything out of the water across the world. Um, so, I um, want to start with a little childhood story of my, you know, as I looked back as one of my first memorable encounters with compassion. At age seven or eight, I think I launched into a career 
in thievery. Um, so stealing money from my mother's purse to go uh, buy these little um, Rice Krispie balls. And my sister snitched on me um, after me doing this for probably a good month. And, and um, I was going to have to go and talk with my mother. And I was filled with dread. I actually felt frozen inside. I remember that. And, um, and I don't remember what was said to me. All I remember is that my, I felt my mother's body sitting next to me, warm and safe. And I remember that whatever it is she did, and I might cry, I felt safe and soothed and supported, and I felt seen. And I bless her for that moment. So a few years later, I, I learned that in fact, when my mother was a child, she had done exactly the same. Um, but she didn't necessarily get met in the same way when she was found out. Um, she was also into stealing money for Rice Krispie balls. Mm. And when I had my own children, and I still do, um, they're 18 and 16, but younger, they of course brought the soccer ball into the, into the home and broke things. Um, and immediately, our response was always to look at them, the humans, and not at the things, so that they would feel safe, seen, soothed, and supported. Mm. So this is how we know compassion, if we see it. You know, we're walking down the street and we meet compassion, we know because we feel safe, seen, soothed, and supported. That's us as a receiver. If we're the giver, well, actually it turns out rather than a burden, um, evolution designed us to feel a sense of glow and happiness. Um, there is an incentive for being compassionate. I'll say more about this. So in the hospice context, Chris, we're already compassionate towards our patients, perhaps even more so exquisitely so than the rest of medicine. Mm -hmm. And we're a fantastic model for the rest of medicine. So the big thing is, why is it that, and I ask this with tenderness and compassion in my heart, what's happening in healthcare that we're not offering it to ourselves and to each other? How is it that our organizations aren't set up to be, um, you know, you and I have been talking a lot about, you know, to, to be institutionalized mm -hmm. places of, of compassion, to have, to be institution loving. So, you know, evolutionarily, our bodies sense isolation as banishment and death. That's why isolation causes burnout. And um, this is what people are feeling. They're feeling incredibly isolated and overwhelmed and all by themselves. And I want to ask, could it be that we're actually acculturated against vulnerability in medicine, in healthcare? Could it be that we talk, we think, we move 
And we do so fast that we're not slowing down to attune to either ourselves and our own heartbeats, our own emotions, our own bodies, um, including to go pee, right? <laughs> um, or to each other with the necessary consistency of offering. So if we are going to slow down, if we take that offer and slow down, the next question would have to be a radically compassionate one, which is what do we have to face within ourselves when we slow down? So can we choose then to institutionalize compassion and love? And if we want compassion at this party, we have to know that we have to feel and we have to feel our vulnerability, which is an undercurrent of our natural state. So there's no point in me talking about vulnerability without actually modeling it. So hold on a second. So for the next 10 months, I'm toothless. And it feels really scary and frightening as a small brown woman, a doctor trying to be credible. Um, sometimes I laugh and I think, well, maybe I'm in that movie, How to Train a Pet Dragon, your pet dragon, and I'm toothless. Um, <laughs> most powerful dragon. So, but this is the real me. And as anxious and vulnerable as this feels right now, and I know that at work, um, I leave the flipper off a lot, but I notice that I don't smile very much. I don't mm -hmm. smile my natural smile, trying to bottle in my vulnerability. Research shows that when we bottle our feelings as we do in medicine um, and across the board in healthcare, whether we are frontline or administrative, it decreases problem-solving capacity. It decreases um, the capacity to have discernment and to make good decisions. It decreases resiliency. It decreases actually the level and authenticity of our relationships with each other. Um, I'm not really sure if it's doing any good. Now, there are times, of course, that we need to deflect our experience of a large feeling or a small one so that we can do, but we can't hold back on it for very long. Research also shows that when compassion is present, um, and no wonder Simon Sinek, you know, is talking about it on TED Talk, right? TED Talk's the, you know, compassionate workplace, but great research on compassion and co-regulation back him up. Um, that there is an increase in resiliency, there's an increase in relationships, there's an increase in cognitive process, there's an increase in problem-solving capacity, and the big word, there's an increase in productivity. Hmm. Who wouldn't want that? So just breathe for a moment and watch me and even laugh. <laughs> So I want to bring in here with tenderness, the river of vulnerability that we're swimming in. It's all around us. 
I want to bring up a co-worker, a 43-year-old who was recently diagnosed with breast cancer. She went through surgery and she's going to come back to work soon and um, and she's going to have to be facing women dying of breast cancer and other cancers. And if we take a moment to really feel what that's like for her. I had somebody else reach out to me a while ago talking about how they manage their panic disorder at work and how terrible it is for them. I had a nurse practitioner who had a child, who has a child with asthma, such bad asthma that she was in and out of the hospital several times. And of course, when COVID broke out, she didn't know if she was bringing death back home with her. And in a couple months ago, um, we had a 95-year-old patient that we admitted. And he was in the hospital for a few weeks with COVID. Chris, and, but then he recovered unexpectedly, which was amazing, sort of recovered in a hospice sense of it, of it mm -hmm. uh, with increasing weakness and was going to go back home. But the family members who exposed him to COVID had also been hospitalized in the meantime and died. Mm -hmm. And he didn't know this. So we're, we're in, this, in this river of vulnerability. Um, I want to throw in here a good friend of mine who is a physician who had a harsh upbringing, as many of us do, and um, in a school system and is now terrified of making mistakes. And when she does, um, she has a little trauma kindling and, and manages that and reaches out to others for compassion. And that physician is me. So we're all together in this. So I wanna slow down and say, how are you feeling? What are your thoughts? Mm. So what are your body sensations? Yeah, I mean, every time I'm with you, first off, I just, I, I actually feel this much better energy. I mean, as an administrator, right, I've got tons of things coming at me, but, Thinking about what you're saying about compassion and vulnerability, um, you know, we so want our staff to demonstrate that compassion. That's what makes this model of care so beautiful, so brilliant. But yet they've probably never been more challenged to do it. And I think that they've been doing it at a place of um, deficit, right? And then even as a leader, it's, it's how do I have this vast reservoir to be vulnerable, but also be compassionate for my for my team, um, and then help them on this journey to be a better version of themselves um, while we're swimming in this river that you're talking about. And so, um, I always feel like whenever I'm I'm with you and we're having discussions, I'm you are much more right brain and I'm much more left brain. And I always kind of feel myself holding on to the shore of the left brain, going, "But I want to go out into the deep waters." <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> Absolutely. And and I think, you know, we get to go out into the deep waters. We get to invite all dimensions of our being, the 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 cognitive, 
the left-brained capacity to really seek information, the heart, um, the emotion, the body, and our spirit. Um, going, not problem solving all at once, but meeting and going deeper and deeper. So, you know, I want to share David White saying, amazing poet, in refusing our vulnerability, we refuse the help needed at every turn of our existence and immobilize the essential title and conversational foundations of our identity. The only choice we have as we mature is how we inhabit our vulnerability. So, so far, I think we've had the stiff upper lip choice, you know, go on, go on out there and um, march on, carry on. No, 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 I'm scared. I've got goggles on and my mask on, but I don't think it's gonna protect me. No, no, go ahead, jump into the fire. You'll be okay. This is what we do. So let's go with the other choice. The other choice is that and there's a new paradigm of vulnerability and there's a new paradigm of compassion. I want to offer you that we cannot be compassionate till we slow down and are mindful. I want to mm-hmm. offer you that throughout the day, you can do one breath meditations, <laughs> taking a deep breath in and an exhale out. I feel like I've put my favorite st- stress busters into uh, being and doing and acronyms of being and doing because this is what we do and using those as a toggle valve back and forth and I call it mine but please know that they're based on so much research and so much um, teaching out there but uh, being is particularly powerful I think the breathing in the exhaling longer than the inhale dropping in inwards into our body to invite up positive and delightful memories so that they can resources for the experience we're having right now, not to negate it. And the, um, the N to in fact nourish and nurture, to name that feeling that we're having because research shows that when we name a feeling accurately, whether it's anxiety or rage or confusion or overwhelm uh, or grief, that it calms our brain. And the G is that when we do that, we belong to the ground of all being. Just to make a comment, so those that, um, I know we called it a podcast, so you could listen. We want you to listen during your drive time. But for those who are watching, we actually have this on a slide. But for those who are listening, that B was breathe, the E was exhale. The I was inwards and invite, the N was name, and the G was give. Exactly. And um, giving, giving and receiving love is a very powerful way to feel okay. And it may be that part of our resiliency in healthcare is actually that we give love. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a good thing. And the doing aspect of that is, again, um, to drop into the body from the brain um to open our posture and our heart and breathing and going again to invite to nurture and belonging and resting into the grounding ground of all all being yeah so again the, the acronym is doing and so those of you could see you could see the slide but those of you are listening the d was drop in 
the O was open, the I was invite, the N was nurture, and the G was ground, but also goodness, um, and so doing. I love these acronyms. And I have another acronym for compassion, and I um, came up with this yesterday. The C is a connect and checking in how our organizations, we, we want to be open to constantly checking in, especially uh, managers to their teams and, their ma and the managers themselves need to be checked in by their leaders. So connecting, check in, open the posture, that's the O. M is for mindful, embodied, uh, and the P for present. The A for attuning to people's feelings and meeting them. And four S's in the midst of compassion, my four S's, safe, seen, um, soothed and supported. This is not mine actually, it's Dr. Dan Siegel from uh, UCLA. And the I for the sense that we have of feeling worthy, I am worthy. And O opens us deeper into the miracle of meaningfulness as the process of compassion goes, goes forward. And N to end with that we're not alone. Well, Rohini, thank you. I just again, every time I talk to you, I just feel my blood pressure just coming down and having much more of a better state of being. And you give that gift on a day-to-day -day basis in your work. And the Mountain Valley team, I know, loves working with you. And some of these mindful practices that you've paid forward to them, I've just heard them rave about it because I know it helps them in their work to be more mindful, to be more compassionate to themselves and the people that we serve. And so it works. So you have so much great wisdom to offer. Thank you for taking time to share it with all of our listeners. And so as I always promise, we have a bookend. And so I thought this one was appropriate. And it says, stop being afraid of what could go wrong and start being excited of what could go right. And that's actually by Tony Robbins. Thanks for listening to TCN Talks.